Tennessee had a day in court yesterday. And as the ongoing saga, Tennessee versus the NCAA, the state of Tennessee and Virginia against the NCAA. You saw some highlights from it, or lowlights, if you're rooting for the NCAA. <laughs> I do like to think there's a couple people riding around that just hate Tennessee, that hate listening to the station, that are rooting for people's misery. Oh, there are. Yeah, I, I like to think they're out there listening right now, like, yeah, I'm really rooting for the NCAA here. I love big corporation. Big, bad, incompetent corporations. That's what I, that's what I root for. And I hope they're all thinking, man, let's go NCAA. And it was a bad day for you, buddies. It was a bad day for you. <laughs> as it said, as people that were there said the NCAA struggled to kind of not trip over themselves when discussing NIL deals and values of the athletes versus inducement. Didn't seem like a good sign that the judge was like, hey, so are you telling me that you would sign a deal with CBS? to let them hold, you know, to broadcast your March Madness tournament without knowing how much they were going to pay you? Uh, uh, well, no. Uh, yeah. How's it any different? People took that as a bad sign for the NCAA's chances. Bob, what was your read on the situation? Well, I think that it's just more and more of, um, I guess maybe I was expecting yesterday there was going to be something that that resembled movement in this deal, but uh, I guess we even talked about this that they were saying there was a three-hour time limit or something like that. And so I guess then I realized maybe there wasn't going to be as much. But it, based on what I read last night, it's just it's kind of this whole we're it's natural for us as human beings to want some quick resolution to something like this and as fans because it's kind of personal um we take it that way and it's not it's this because the other thing we have to remember is that this is going to likely have trickle down effect to the whole national scene it's not just about tennessee uh we're the we're just the ones that have kind of put the foot in the door tennessee and virginia as it were so um Biggest thing Virginia's done in college athletics since they <laughs> won the national championship, I guess, a couple of years ago. Right. They've right. Been pretty irrelevant since then, but nice of them to rejoin the college football world. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it, so at the same time, I, I don't think anything based on anything I've seen or read or heard, I don't think anything came away with the NCAA gaining ground or getting momentum on this case whatsoever it just feels like there's just a a lot of back and forth on language and interpretation of the language and this whole thing about um sam and i were talking about in the break what was it sam you were saying the fact that you can uh, like what the NCA has problems with is you could put nil information out there or opportunities out there but then you can't have a back and forth negotiating or that was that your take on it yeah it seemed like the nca the way that the rule breaks kind of is there like you could discuss a potential package basically but you can't go into like the specific numbers or something like that at some point the specifics gets into where you, you actually break the rule yeah it seems like they didn't really have exactly the tightrope figured out yeah. in terms of no. discussing deals versus 
having those numbers be given to prospects. They were kind of like, hey, you're supposed the, – the thing I think they really – like anybody that knows college athletics and knows these deals, I think could easily look and say, hey, the NCAA doesn't know what they're talking about because the NCAA was like, hey, there's plenty of websites out there <laughs> that you can look at to see what your value is. You should know how much you're worth before you go into this you know, negotiation. You're like, really? Like, are you, you believe the on three evaluations? The on three valuations of how much money a prospect's worth? Because I don't think those are accurate at all. Basically, it's like if you have 10,000 Twitter followers or, or even like 7,000, it's like you're worth 100 grand. That's not how it works. Like, most of those players who are saying they're, you know, have their evaluations reveal that they're worth you know, 60 to a hundred to $200,000. Those guys are the ones that are lucky to get like $5,000 from these NIL collectives. I, I thought about this too. It's, it's just, it's becoming a bit exhausting if you think about it. So, you know, the NCAA, what I felt like I was seeing yesterday is what I'm seeing so often on national news about what's going on. And I am, there's I'm just using it as an example. I'm not going to get on any sort of political soapbox. Oh, but let's it's, do it. No. It's election no. season, baby. Oh, God, no, man, please. But it's, it's I mean, like. guys are in their mid-80s, Bob. What are no. we doing here? Well, it's just what we're seeing with our government at large. You know, I mean, there's, there's just this whole, hey, we're going to get in here and we're going to make some calls. We're going to mix it up. And then you, you see a comedy of errors that follows. It just keeps happening. And that's what's happening with the NCAA. And so I use the term of being exhausted because it's not just this, it's the conversations we've had about conference realignment and the transfer portal and all of these things. And I got to be honest, the conference realignment thing, there's not a, a damn bit of it that's exciting to me when I think about it. It's more, you know, sounded cool for about five seconds and then you start thinking about it and, and you're losing all the things that, I, again, I grew up with all these, you know, traditional conferences, Southwest Conference kind of disbanded. They all migrated to the SEC or the Big 12. Then the Pac-12 goes away. That's the one that's really hitting home for me because I spent time on the West Coast and really kind of became a closet Pac-12 fan or Pac-10 fan at the time. And and it's just another thing. This This, what we just saw yesterday, is just another thing that is changing a sport that we – loved and there was a lot of comfort in it and now it's like there's so much that's unknown and this is just another piece of it and we don't know how this will play out you think you do but the one thing's for sure it's not going to play out like in the next month or two it's going to take a long time and that's the part that just bums me out quite honestly the pac-12 may be going away but benghazi isn't <laughs> check her emails check her emails okay but <laughs> you know the the NCAA it just was seems yesterday. I mean, I wasn't in the courtroom. You know, you saw some things from the VolQuest guys and Trey Wallace. And, you know, they, they have Tennessee ties. They have some skin in the game for Tennessee not being punished, for Tennessee winning. More so VolQuest than, than Trey Wallace. But, you know, we have skin in the game. I don't want to point fingers at them without, you know, pointing them back at us. We, we have skin in the game. We want Tennessee to be good. Right. We don't want Tennessee to be in trouble. We feel like we got some momentum here. That can get the fans back excited, can get sponsors back excited, can get the city back excited. Like, we have skin in the game for, for Tennessee being good. So, like, you always take those maybe with a little grain of salt. 
just a small grain of salt or maybe it would be a huge grain of salt small either way but like it came across that tennessee looked good yesterday but mostly that the NCAA looked bad yeah not so much that tennessee had to do anything special just that the NCAA fumbled over themselves and that their high dollar lawyers got their law degree from clown university because like the you would feel like if you were going into a court setting to talk about nil and to talk about this case you would be a better equipped to answer questions than they were yesterday and not stumble around and and not be beaten by a easy rhetorical question of well you wouldn't take this contract without seeing the numbers would you uh well, no well okay how's it any different well uh i don't know they're they're 18 they're 17 this is the way it's always been done that doesn't work in the court of law the whole this is the way it's always been thing yeah, we don't see the NCAA, uh, at least based on anything I've seen or read, as I've said before, that I don't see the NCAA kind of bulking up, so to speak, for, for this this whole process like we saw Tennessee do. Um, and that should tell you a lot right there. That's That could be... It's probably somewhere in between, but there, there's some there's some swagger there, or some some uh, ego, and then also some ignorance, and we saw some of that play out yesterday based on what we're seeing or hearing. Well, I mean, it's no different than in the NCAA watching a team go in lackadaisical, thinking they could just show up and beat someone, and going into a hostile environment, going into someone's home home gym where right. you know they they need the win, they are focused on the win. It's not that different than, than Tennessee, Texas A&M, where Tennessee goes in maybe a little lackadaisical. Maybe not as focused, but they're going up against a, a Texas A&M team that's desperate for the win. It makes their season. It's not that different than the sports analogy because the NCAA, their sole focus is not beating Tennessee right now. I'm sure they have other things going about how they're going to survive. And all we got was it was it Dartmouth that's unionizes and their players. Right. And, Hey, we got these TV deals we got to figure out, and we got to do this, we got to do that. And meanwhile, Tennessee is like, hey, we're using all of our resources. We're going to pay this lawyer $1,900 an hour to focus on our case. He's giving us a discount because he hates you that badly. He's giving us, uh, he, usually, he usually charges like $2,200 an hour, but for us, he said he'll give us a $300 discount because he wants to make you guys look bad and he'll take it as free promotion. But like Tennessee is laser focused on beat, winning this case. And helping win this case and, and helping defend themselves against the NCAA. Meanwhile, the NCAA is like, yeah, we'll show up. <laughs> you know, it's on our schedule. Because the way it read yesterday is that the lawyers got a text reminder on Monday. Hey, just in case you forgot, you got that, you got that court thing in Tennessee on, on, when, on Tuesday. Don't forget to show up. Yeah, there's definitely a vibe that's been like, okay, well, the, the adults are here, you know, they, they kind of carry themselves that way. Like, yeah, let, okay, calm down. Now, all right, we're, you want to go to court? Yeah, we'll show up to court. But again, what we, the reports from yesterday was um, maybe lack of preparation or lack of, maybe lack of understanding of the depth of what, the, what, what's really at hand here. It seemed like they had the worst lawyers in the world, just from the little clips I read. Yeah. Like, it feels like that would be something that like I could have came up with to ask them. If we were interviewing them, well, what's the difference in the NCAA negotiating their contracts versus the players? Uh, well, that's a good question. I mean, if you think about it, 
and we talked about this when this broke a couple weeks ago, it's not hyperbole to say that for the NCAA, this is kind of an existential, potentially an existential dilemma for them. And they don't seem to be acting that way. They're, you know, they're, I, I thought by them getting involved, maybe they understood that. But now what we've seen trickle down in the last couple of weeks, they don't they don't get it, man. They don't. No, it's just like they showed up. Like I said, it was just on the schedule. Oh, well, we'll go do that today. Did you do any homework for it? Did you prep? Nah, it's fine. We'll wing it. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Give me the cliff notes. Let me skim the book right quick. I'll try to write the answers down while the teacher's taking up everybody's homework. That's the way it came across. Again. I feel like those are questions me and you would ask, Bob. Yeah. What's the difference? Why can you negotiate contracts, but players can't look and see what their value is? Oh, well, you know, it's a good point. I don't know. We didn't really think of that. I mean, think about this. As, as big an entity as the NCAA has been over the years and the threats that they're, you know, that they should be feeling towards their long-term existence – yeah, they're hiring these attorneys, but they're and they're putting this in the hands of a judge who, again, has a lot of hand in their fate, their their ultimate fate. And this was about the best they brought to the table. It's pretty amazing. Not to dance on their graves yet, no victory lap yet. But again, all the reports coming out of it, you know, were that Tennessee came across looking much more competent. But the NCAA just looked incompetent, and that felt like a good, good sign for uh, the state of Tennessee and and their case, which of course heavily will sway like what happens with Tennessee, the university, and, and their case. I could I couldn't help but think. Well, it may not have even gotten to this point. I was going to say if this we we've we've extolled the virtues of the the administrators at UT that they've come into this and they've got they've got the 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 athletes back the the universities back what if this had been the prior the prior regime i guess we again we might not even gotten to court they would have just been like they might have run and hide i don't know i mean i don't know this was said yes okay it's fine hey we're sorry we'll send nico to oregon yeah (laughs) we'll send nico back home to usc or ucla and he's a quarterback yeah i mean that might have been what happened but if it had gotten to court, they would have been. It would have been like looking in a mirror, probably from a standpoint of uh, capabilities and, um, well, I'll say it ineptitude. Thankfully, we didn't have to worry about that. Just remember, Benghazi ain't going away. But we are for a commercial break. Sam, send us there. We'll come back. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. All right, let's bring on our friend Stats by Will. Statsbywill.substack.com. He's running a special right now, 25% off. I just quote tweeted the link on X. Support our friend who comes on and gives us 30 minutes of his time every week. Will, good morning. How are you, friend? Doing great. Just got done with the morning run. Uh, Looking forward to a nice 11.30 p.m. tip or whatever it is tonight. So, you know. (laughs) Doing pretty well. Yeah, I don't want to be that person that complains, but now that we do the morning show and I saw that it was a 9 p.m. tip, I was like, oh, no. I got to go well, tweet I about it. I will be the person who complains. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I got to go tweet about it because I remember I feel like a, the morning show that Three and Out used to always kind of talk about that. Okay, the torch. Yeah, now it's my course to Terry. Oh, God. 
Will, <laughs> what's your biggest takeaway from the A&M game from the weekend? Well, I think it was Tennessee kind of got punched in the mouth early and not really by – I mean, like, you know, if A&M hit threes, whatever. So uh, there are people who were getting upset on X about, uh, you know, A&M hitting all those threes and saying, why don't you step out and guard them? Well, first off, I would much rather let a 26% three-point team shoot it than give up a bunch of layups. And, you know, Tennessee, out of 60 field goal attempts, A&M took 28 from three. After they started out eight for 13, they went three for 15 the rest of the way. So, I mean, to me, they, they played that side fine, but being punched in the mouth to me means Tennessee got beat up on the boards a little, which I wasn't shocked A&M had success. I was shocked Tennessee did not. I thought Tennessee would be able to beat and bang with them a bit more successfully than they did. And, you know, the officiating didn't help, but you know, teams were pretty even on the whole in free throw attempts. So I don't think that that was much a factor. It's just Tennessee on the road has, in the Kentucky game being the exception, has kind of shown the ability to, like, ease into a game. They don't really come out strong, I don't feel, usually. I would love to see them tonight buck that trend first five minutes you hit that first media timeout with like a four or five point lead is it fair to say that last year it was kind of similar with tennessee on the road i feel like tennessee wasn't a good road team last year either because i remember using the phrase that hey none of your ncaa tournament games are going to be on the road so you don't have to worry about this yeah i thought it was the same last year now last year obviously you didn't have a single game where you started off as well as you did on the road against kentucky but you know Aside from that, I do think it's – I wouldn't say super alarming given literally every college basketball team struggles on the road this year. But at some point, you know, it's, A&M is pretty forgivable. But if you do that against Arkansas or, you know, God forbid, Mizzou next week, then I think you can really ring the alarm bells. Going back to the AM, A&M game, one last thing. So you, you mentioned the rebounding, and, yeah, that was something Coach Polinski was worried about heading into the game. That was something Bob had pointed out on Monday about how bad that was to me, the most alarming thing wasn't the rebounding. It was the point of attack defense. I I was surprised that, you know, basically we couldn't control their guards. Yeah. And and some of that is, you know, they, to their credit, Buzz did a pretty good job of getting what I noticed was largely Radford getting matched up on connect. And you really don't want Dalton in one-on-one situations against similarly sized guards, but you know, to, to their credit, they did a good job getting those, uh, you know, one-on-one looks, and I won't be shocked if that happens in the tournament. But that's why I think, you know, going forward, you probably got to give Mayshack more minutes. I know that offensively he runs hot and cold. He also we don't really talk about we talk about Awaka's foul issues a lot. We don't really talk about Mayshacks as much. Like Mayshack is, I believe, at four and a half fouls per forty minutes, which is not really what you want from a guard slash wing type guy. But I, I think you got to live with it, you know. I'd rather, especially when Ganey's not hitting threes, I'd rather see Meshack get the 22 minutes than Ganey. I think you got to look at that option going forward. Meshack has point guard experience, so maybe you can give you know Zakai a little rest from time to time with that. Meshack is just, you know, pretty easily to me your best point of attack stopper. You've got Vescovy and James can do it, but they're not as versatile to me. Hey, Will, on to Arkansas and tonight's game. It's kind of rare to see, at least in current or recent years, how Arkansas is just 
struggling this year, 12 and 11. Ken Palm ranking of 119, um, just bad on a lot of levels. And I know this is a road game, and we've talked about this. I think the spread on this game is Tennessee minus 8.5. I'm going to say it. Why Why wouldn't Tennessee even have – why wouldn't they be a bigger favorite in this game? Is it, is it putting that much stock into Arkansas having the home court advantage, or do you think maybe it's a you know residue from what happened on Saturday night? I think it's honestly residue from 30 years of hell going to Arkansas. That, that arena, more than any other arena in SEC play in my lifetime for Tennessee, is the Murphy's Law Arena. <laughs> where anything that can possibly go wrong seems to. I've watched that team blow, you know, an eight-point lead with a minute and a half left. Watched some really good teams go in there and lose. Uh, but, you know, that being said, the three times Tennessee's been a favorite at Arkansas the last 25 years per team rankings, they've won, and generally won pretty handily. So uh, I wouldn't be I, – I, I'm a little surprised it's only eight and a half, but also not – you know, the, it does have a little bit of a feel of Arkansas's last stand of sorts to it. Of you know, if we're going to make this, if we're going to save some face this season, this is probably the home game left on the schedule where we can do that because the remaining home games are Mizzou, Vandy, LSU. No one's going to care about those. This is their last big shot at the pie. So, what's Arkansas's think problem this year? Well, it's it's multifold. So one, we really under discussed. I think as a collective media group that this is the first time Musselman has ever in his career made it to year five at a job. So, and it's kind of applying similar logic that we do as UT in the tournament. If you do it enough times, it's going to work. If you do the portal thing enough times, eventually it's not going to work. And this year they've really misfired. The best guy they got is Tremont Mark from Houston. But you look at the rest of the roster and it's a bunch of just, Swings and misses, like Jeremiah Davenport from Cincinnati has been very underwhelming. L. Ellis coming over from Louisville, we thought that he'd adapt to not having to do as much, and he's been a lot worse. Khalif Battle came over from Temple. As of right now, he is the third-worst two-point percentage shooter in the last 15 years in the SEC. And part of it is, you know, they swung and missed on that, but part of it, I think, is, as I've kind of struggled with with Arkansas for years, the roster construction aspect. You didn't really go out and get much in the way of plus shooting aside from Mark and, you know, questionably battle. But, you know, Bart Torvik's side has this thing where you can sort by, you know, role. And you sort that you sort their roster by role right now. One thing you're going to notice, no point guard on this roster. The closest thing to it is Ellis because he played it at Louisville last year, but it wasn't like it was his natural position. The other thing you're going to notice, no power forwards, no wings. It's all. It's a roster entirely made of shooting guards and centers. And like, if your shooting guards and centers are good enough to overcome that, you can make it work. But their spacing is really bad. Their pick and roll coverage has been bizarrely bad, and they struggle mightily getting back in transition. Yeah, I'm reading your preview right now in your Substack, and you link to a story about Musselman and Louisville. Is that just? inevitable at this point that Musselman maybe doesn't get the Louisville job, but that Musselman is gone after this year, and this is the last time Tennessee will probably have to play him at Arkansas? Yes. That, that's been the buzz around not just media circles, but the few coaching people I know, too, is that it would be a genuine surprise if he's at Arkansas next year, whether it's Louisville or whether like USC opens, for example. Something like that he's probably gone for, but 
uh, I would have to think, you know, Louisville's willing to look past the one bad year and focus on the three or four good ones. Back to one of the players, we you did a great job summarizing the hits and misses on that team. One noticeable um, impact player that's no longer on the team was Devo Davis. Not that he necessarily brought that much statistically, but 30 minutes a game, and he was – you know, he 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 was kind of the bridge to the brighter days for the program, and I'd have to believe a bit of a leader. And he just abruptly left the program. I mean, um, do you feel that that's it, it, does that core coincide with kind of the slide that this team has had? Or you know, I know it was already underway, but do you think that just put a put just a brighter light on it, and just you know made this team that much more ineffective? Well, somewhat. No, I've I've never been a big fan of his offensively. I've thought his impact has been overrated for a really long time. But the the thing with him is more the defensive side. He is a nightmare defensively when he's on. He's got to be locked in. But like last year in the NCAA tournament, he was amazing against Illinois. Was amazing against Kansas. You know, two games where they needed him to come through as a veteran leader, and he did. You know, this year you look at the stats for SEC play, and the two things I noticed immediately, he has three steals in SEC play, three out of ten games. He had four alone in the Illinois game in the tournament last year. The other thing I've noticed, his peak points in any game is eight, and that's despite playing 32-plus minutes four times. So he's, he's only really impressive or useful on offense when he's hitting threes this year he's not. He did. He did come back to the team. He played against Georgia and was okay. Oh, did he? I didn't but know that. I thought he was done. He came back. He didn't start, and I'm. I would be kind of surprised if he starts this game. But he, he's he's back. I just don't think he's very effective. And you with when you have that guy on the court so often, you got to have plus shooters around him. And, like, you know, you look at this most recent game, Mark didn't attempt a three. The only guys who are attempting threes really are Ellis and Keon Menefield. And that's not really what I want to see from a successful SEC roster. The, the other big one that's missing here is Trayvon Brazil, who's got knee soreness, which I know, I know in the NIL era, like, injuries can still be injuries, but... I can't help but wonder if this is an NBA thing, given that he's lot, he's been widely projected as like an early second-round pick, and that was after starting the season as a low-end first-rounder. So I kind of wonder if he's sitting out to save his stock. As you've gone back and you've watched some Arkansas film and kind of broken down their games and got your opponent preview up at statsbywill.substack, or is it statsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstatsstat
the Georgia win this week or this weekend was nice. Like that was not a bad thing to see. But um, that being said, like the the body language on the sideline appears really bad. I never want to say that a team's given up because I think like you could have said Bandy's given up and you would have been wrong because I mean you look at last night's results, but they seem like a team that if they get punched in the mouth early their level of willingness to fight back is not nearly as high as it's been in previous seasons. Statsbywill.substack.com. Go subscribe now. On the way out, got a couple more questions. A new game called Confident, Worried, or I Don't Know. Jonas Adu, are you confident he bounces back and kind of solidifies himself again? Are you worried that his earlier performance was a flash in the pan, or you don't know? I'm confident. I think he's going to be all right. It's the same thing as we had the little wave where Connect, and I'm not comparing the two as being the exact same, but we had the wave where Connect was, you know, kind of lost in the sauce for three weeks or so. And everyone was like, did Barnes ruin him? Did he lose his confidence or whatever? And it's like, no, he was just trying to figure out how to adjust to the adjustment. When Jonas figures that out, I think he's going to be fine. I. I wouldn't be shocked to see him have a good game tonight. This is an Arkansas team that blocks a lot of shots, but they also foul a ton. Wouldn't be shocked to see him get to the line a bunch. He's going to have his shots for offensive rebounds. And I don't know. I look at him and I think he's going to be all right. You know, it might be another game or two, but we've seen this happen before with other Barnes bigs. So they have a few off games and it clicks back for them again once they make the appropriate adjustment. Staff has probably been with him a bit on that. So the the one thing for him I would like to see more of is I feel like we haven't seen Adu attempt a three in like a month. And I feel like that helps a lot with offensive spacing. Dalton Connect as an impactful and efficient 24 points a game scorer. Are you confident that he gets back to that? Are you worried or you don't know? Because I feel like very against, you're very confident. Okay, because I was going to say against Kentucky, you know, he didn't have the points. It wasn't efficient. And against Texas A&M on Saturday, I didn't feel like it was very impactful. I thought it was all kind of garbage time points. It, it was, but I, I again, that's an A&M defense. It's kind of hard and strange to prep for. 24 points per game does kind of feel about right for him in SEC play. And, you know, I think – Expecting him to go 36, 39, 32, 31 every time out might have been a bit much. But honestly, if you get 22, 27, 25, most games you're going to be really happy. I mean, Tennessee has not had that in years. Tennessee locks in at least a two seed down the stretch. Are you confident, worried, or you don't know? I'm going to go confident. I don't I don't want to put it as like a lock by any means, but – if you had to rate it on like a one to ten scale, I'd say I'm at an eight that they get a two seed or better. They you get a you get a pretty easy you know quote unquote for SEC play stretch of games coming up, and then those final four or five could all be quad one games. That's where you can solidify your resume. You got to go at least three and one in the final four to me to lock in a two seed or better. But I'm pretty confident they can do that, and it's really helping that teams around them are kind of, frankly, not really doing their job, like Kansas getting trashed on the road, North Carolina losing to a Syracuse team, Tennessee beat by 17, and so on. Like, the teams around them that are battling for the same spots are not exactly doing themselves any favors. All right. Well, this is 
this will be off Tennessee topic. But oh <laughs> my god, this is so. Sam and I, John doesn't like this, but we were lamenting a stats by will, one of the stats by will darling teams, Indiana State. They they hit the wall last night. Did you get to see any of that horrible? I didn't. Occurrence? I saw the. I followed on the uh, the ES or well no the score app. I've dropped ESPN from my apps, but they uh, it happens. You know, you're if you're in one of those mid major conferences, eventually you're going to get got, and unfortunately for them, they got got. But I, I don't think like their dream of being good enough for an at large is done by any means. The dream's still alive, John. I'm telling you. They read their press clippings. They they read their hype too much. They all got online and was reading about themselves, and they had girls and guys messaging them and tweeting them, telling them, them how great they were on Instagram, and that's what happened. Will, your biggest key to the game tonight for Tennessee, and then I'll let you go. Don't get in foul trouble. I think it's that simple because Arkansas, number nine in America in free throw rate, you stay out of foul trouble. I really don't know what the path is for Arkansas to hang in this game. Statsbywill.substack.com. He's offering 25% off right now if you use the link that he tweeted out. I've quote tweeted it if you are on X. Statsbywill.substack.com. Statsbywill on X. You can follow him. Appreciate your time. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me on. Um, I guess we can just go to the top of the hour here. Yeah, what I was going to say is there's there's obviously the Tennessee game tonight. There's another big SEC game tonight, South Carolina at Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, and what surprises me, again, if you're – boy, if you're a South Carolina fan, if you're Lamont Paris, they got Auburn as an 11-and-a-half-point favorite. I mean, I know Auburn's a hard place to play at, but, man, again, it feels like South Carolina is not getting much respect. 11-and-a-half-point Spread, yeah. I've tried to quit gambling, but I know that seems crazy. Trying to detox after the Super Bowl and just kind of enjoy the off season and <laughs> you know focus on on personal growth and <laughs> spiritual growth and all those things. But eleven and a half point spread is well, Auburn so, coming off a loss? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Florida, Florida. they got yeah. dominated at Florida, but like. Sometimes that doesn't always work where, hey, a team's going to be super motivated after a loss. Sometimes yeah. that doesn't work. Sometimes a team that, like, just finds a way to win and, and keeps grinding out these wins actually has the confidence. Like, South Carolina was, what, 13.5-point dogs, 13-point dogs here in Knoxville? Yeah, 13.5, yeah. And, like, even if Tennessee would have won, at no point did you really feel like Tennessee was going to cover that game. No. I, I remember I was very – Certainly thought Tennessee would win. I had no confidence in them covering that. I thought that was a lot. They've only gotten blown out once in conference play, and that was the Alabama. second one of the year against Alabama. Yeah. yeah. What was the score of that game? Ooh. Seventy-four to forty-seven. Yeah, they yeah. Alabama ran them yeah. out. But everything but, else besides that, their losses have been five, six-point losses. But think about that, Alabama. Even Alabama, they ran them out, but they only had seventy-four points for you know a pretty high-octane Alabama team. So. It sounds like South Carolina may have failed more offensively in that one. I never saw it, but Auburn's the number four defense in the country. Uh, I just, I don't know, man. That just seems like a lot. No, it does. It does. What's the money line? That's a good question. Might just fade Bruce. <laughs> Might just fade Bruce and just trust Lamont to go down there and get it done. Eleven and a half. Yeah, that's cool. But what is it like going to be like plus four hundred on the old money line? 
plus 520. Plus 520? I'm not dabble on that. Make my Valentine's Day real special. <laughs> Let's go Cox! Cox on Valentine's Day. Let's ride. It's crazy, though. You know, you look at Ken Palm, Texas A&M, even after that Vanderbilt loss, they're still two spots ahead in Ken Palm of South Carolina. Yeah. It's crazy. You can get 25 to 1, Sam, on a Cox and Hogs Valentine's Day parlay. Ooh. Ooh. 25 to 1. <laughs> Synonymous. Just keep an eye on it. I'd be surprised if Tennessee lost on the road to Arkansas. Because if you're buying in the whole, like, hey, Auburn's coming off a loss. Well, Tennessee got punked, too. And they're going up against a team that does look like it's quit. It does look like it has given up and not not really uh, focused on the future there either when you look at Musselman. Like, it it looks like the whole program's quit. Like, that's what I keep saying. Like, it, it, he's checked out, too. He's on his way out as well. So, I don't know, like, how – motivated they're going to be it's an 8 p.m tip but it's also valentine's day like i can't imagine what your lover would say if you told them like hey let's go watch the 12 and 10 arkansas razorback game tonight at eight o'clock for i don't know if there's a whole lot of romantic things to do in fayetteville though (laughs) i've never been i don't know but i just stay at home and watch a movie (laughs) go eat they gotta have a texas roadhouse there in fayetteville go to the roadhouse and eat some rolls i don't know I just can't imagine, and that's from the either way. If a, if a, if a woman came to me and was like, "Hey, let's go to the Arkansas game, honey," I'm like, "No, I'm good. Let's stay home." You ever been to Fayetteville? I have not. I've only driven through Arkansas on the way to Texas, I believe. It's the that, check out that, it, that would line up right to go from Memphis to to Texas. You'd go down through Arkansas, right? Yeah, I feel like I swept through Little Rock for a little bit. That's it. That's the only time I had been there. Well, I've been, I was there for a family wedding and. Um, it reminded me a lot of Knoxville, quite honestly. But from everything I've heard, that's my only time in Arkansas is up in northwest Arkansas. I've heard the rest of the state is pretty rough. Like, Yeah, Cody always said the same thing, but it said that Fayetteville was kind of a nice town. Yeah. yeah, I, I think I might go to the game at Arkansas. This year for football? Yeah. A lot of my family's from Little Rock, but I've never been to Fayetteville in all my years that I've visited Arkansas in my time. If you're going to the basketball game, you probably need to leave now. I'm not going to that one. Yeah, so so the football one, okay. That would be a good check off the SEC road list and also should get a win. Kind of one that you don't normally go to all the time, you know. like. Although I guess that's going to change the ideas that that changes, you know, when the schedule changes, you'll have more opportunities. But you got to imagine it'll be just as good of a chance as you'll probably ever have to go into Arkansas and win. I'd imagine Tennessee will go in there as 10-point favorites or so by the time it comes to it, so – yeah, it might be a good time to get down there and, and watch that game and get a road win. Okay. When you go to uh, Fayetteville, you need to get a – they're big down there, kolache. Kolache. It's like a pastry. Huh. They're uh, of Russian origin, but they're very, oh, very big in, is. like, Texas and Arkansas. For is that basically reason. just like a hot dog, like, wrapped up in, like, a croissant or something could like be, that? could be, or it can be sweet stuff, too, like, okay. you know – why the hell is Russian culture infiltrated Arkansas I and Texas? Does... I, I have no idea. Or yeah, it's Russian or Chechen or something like that. But yeah, don't put off your dental visits any longer. <laughs> Doctor Stephen Malone and his staff take pride in listening to and communicating with their patients to help them make the best decisions about their dental health. We're talking Knoxville smiles. You could smile. 
with Knoxville Smiles. From routine dental cleanings to wisdom teeth removal, restorative procedures, veneers, implants, they can do it all at Knoxville Smiles. Contact them at 865-539-1776. That's 865-539-1776. If you're a little unsure and want to familiarize yourself with their facility, you can take a tour of it at KnoxvilleSmiles.com, located in West Knoxville. KnoxvilleSmiles.com. Hour two in the books. What do, you, what do you got for us in hour three, Bob? We'll do a little uh, overrated, underrated. Okay, nice. Lovely. It's always fun. And uh, a little NFL? little NFL, yeah. We okay. still talk a little NFL. So we got a few things to talk about. We, we had some caller activity today. That was nice. Uh, so if anybody wants to call in and talk about tonight's game or Tennessee versus the NCAA, any of that stuff, we're, we're here for it. Uh, and a quick housekeeping note before we hit the break, and this is tied to basketball with Tennessee, too, um, because, again, we talked about this late-night game in Fayetteville. The team travels back pretty much overnight. Um, we will not be having Coach Polinski on tomorrow. He needs to get a little bit of beauty rest, and I get that. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll still be recapping the game in a proper way tomorrow, but it will be without Coach. All right, Hour 3 coming at you. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. How about a tight end that can help you with both? But then it goes back into, yeah, positional value. But, like, I was thinking about this yesterday. Bob, like, how many elite offenses have there been? Or even, like, really good offenses have there been? Super Bowl caliber offenses have there been without great tight end play? That's a great question. I mean, like, obviously when you look at, like, Brady and Mahomes and them hoarding all the rings of the last decade, like, I don't think they'd do it without Gronk and Kelsey. It's true. It's true. Um, In terms of even just, like, good teams this year, like, I mean, the Bills, their tight end wasn't great. You know, they're, they're mixed between who they even have. It was Dawson Knox and then they had the other. Dalton Kincaid. Kincaid, yeah, the yeah. other Dalton. Like, those guys aren't great, but they're solid. But, I mean, like, the other elite teams, you look at George Kittle, he's a monster. Eagles had Goddard. Yeah, he was solid for them. Like, if you look at Laporta, you could be like, hey, yeah, like, the the key is, like, if you – or people will point to, like, hey, you talked about Travis Kelsey, you talked about George Kittle, Mark Andrews, and Laporta. Like, those guys weren't first-round picks. Gronk wasn't a first-round pick. Aaron Hernandez wasn't a first-round pick. And you can maybe get those guys later. But to which I push back, if you have a prospect that looks like those guys, would you take them? Like, would you have taken Gronk in the first round if you knew he was going to be Gronk? Even if you knew he was going to be like twenty or like ninety percent of his his production, would you take him? Would he be worth a top seven pick? I think the answer to that is yes. Now I will acknowledge I tweeted out yesterday. You know, someone talked me out of it, and there was a picture of of Brock Bowers standing next to Gronk. And he's small. <laughs> he, he's small. He's not. He's not Gronk size. He also just looks a little frumpy. <laughs> looks a little dumpy. And at that point, I was like, okay, maybe I don't want this guy. But I was thinking, like, it does seem like the tight end is a very important position, especially when it comes to young quarterbacks and quarterbacks who maybe aren't elites. Like, the tight end safety valve has always kind of been a thing. So I did kind of talk myself into it a little bit, Sam. It's interesting. CBS has got their mock draft has Bowers going 15th to the Colts, which I, that's that's quite a gap. You know what I mean? It's, I've seen him as high at number five to the Chargers, yeah. saying that, like, you I know, like him with the, the Chargers. That Harbaugh like, wouldn't pass up on him, and, like, that yeah. would be, you know, Justin Herbert's. 
you know, a big weapon for him. And also, again, would kind of help their offensive line a little bit and their run game and all those things. I, I definitely like him go, uh, on the Chargers because that's, that's been a, a, a gap for them. I know that, it's like, this mock draft has, you know, again, Bowers at 15 and Chargers at five picking Malik Neighbors. I th- feel like they got some receivers. Yeah, that doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. I've seen Bowers a lot to the Chargers. That seems like a popular destination. Phil Yates has him all the way down at number 16 to huh. Seattle right now. Has all at number five to the Chargers. Has the Titans at seven taken uh, Odunzu. How do you say his name? Odunze. Odunze, yeah. sorry. My God. I'd be good with him. Radio professional. Can't speak. <laughs> He's a tough name. It's a tough name. It is a tough one. Yes. But, um, yeah, has, has the Titans taken him at seven? I don't know. Jaden Daniels at number two, also a noteworthy thing here at ESPN. Oh, okay. They, they have the Commanders and Cliff Kingsbury liking him more than Drake May. Man, I, I'm skeptical on Jaden Daniels. I don't know why, but I I am. think when he comes out and runs like a 4-5 in the combine and shows like that type of elite speed, I, I think you'll have him move ahead of Drake May. I, I don't – everyone keeps talking about how great the quarterback class is, and it might end up being a great quarterback class, but like – you have a couple questions about Caleb Williams. I think he'll be a stud, but outside of him, like I don't really have confidence in the other quarterbacks. Like I don't have any confidence in Drake May. I don't know if Jaden Daniels is going to be a good NFL quarterback. Michael Penix has his question marks. You know, like JJ McCarthy apparently getting top ten love. Like okay, maybe, maybe he's a maybe he can be an NFL quarterback. But I don't know. I don't have a lot of confidence in it. I think it's more how bad the 2025 quarterback classes there's just not too many guys outside of like you know maybe Quinn Ewers and a, and a few other guys kind of hitting really? okay. that but like I think maybe the consensus is more just like if you need a quarterback this year is the year to do it in terms of just having some depth not you know guys outside of that top two position when you're looking at offseason storylines the biggest ones are what for me I at least, like, right here at the top of my mind, you know, outside of Titans-related, where, you know, I'm giving personal interest to, is the biggest offseason storyline just Justin Fields? And what the Bears do at number one, like, is that the most intriguing thing so far? Because, like, I, I think you could say, like, oh, Kelsey's retirement, maybe, like, if Kelsey hangs it up, but it seemed after the game he's – you know, was talking about coming back and trying to three-peat, so I think he'll try to do that, so I don't think he'll retire. I don't think there's any big quarterbacks that we're looking at that might hang it up. Like, there's no legends like Brady kind of holding people hostage. No Aaron Rodgers trade on the horizon. Like, we know where he's going to end up. You could say Russell Wilson, like, in his future, but I don't think he moves the needle anymore. So, like, is it just Justin Fields? Bob, you got a bigger storyline than that? No, I think that may be it. Now, I hadn't really given it thought, but now that I'm sitting there processing it, I think that um, because it, it's a really polarizing argument. Again, you know where I stand on it. I actually think the Bears should keep him and do something with the pick. Um, but there's a lot of people who feel that Caleb Williams is a generational talent, and I just – I don't know, man. We've seen a lot of a lot of teams get – it's worked out for some teams. We've seen a lot of teams get burned with those kind of picks too. So it, it just feels like that would be so on brand for the Bears to get burned. They've already done it once with uh, Trubisky recently. So Justin Fields is not at the level of the guys I'm going to talk about, I don't think. You know, definitely not one. I don't think anybody would think the other one either. But, like, if you could give truth serum to Jerry and to Jim Irsay – 
Do you think either one of them would be like, hey, we, we regret what we did with Dak. We regret what we did with Andrew Luck. We should have kept Peyton. We should have given Romo one more run and, and, and traded Dak to acquire some assets to put around him instead. Because, like, you know, Peyton, of course, went to two Super Bowls, won one with the Broncos. You think about the haul that the Colts could have gotten trading the number one pick for Andrew Luck. They could have, you know, solidified that roster, solidified that offensive line. Of course, they just straight up release Peyton Manning, draft Andrew Luck, and put him behind a terrible offensive line and, and shorten his career. The Cowboys haven't broken through and even made a conference championship with Dak. I still think they would have made it in 2016 had they played Romo instead of Dak in the playoffs. But do you think either one of those owners regret that? Because I look at that kind of with Justin Fields. Again, Justin Fields isn't Romo. He's definitely not Peyton. But, like, is, is trading the number one pick and putting – valuable pieces around him better than rolling the dice on a rookie quarterback when you, you maybe could put a roster together to win now. now. I don't know if the Bears could get a Super Bowl caliber roster, but, you know, Montrez Sweat made that defense really good. And if you add a couple more blue chippers there, I don't think they're far off on the defensive side of the ball. And it's not like the NFC is like a juggernaut open. right no, now. it's wide open. I mean, what was the stat? Ten straight years, there's been ten different quarterbacks? If you can win that division, you know, I mean, you've got a chance and – the division's going to be tough, though, between the, the Lions and the Packers. Like, that's going to be tough. How many did the Bears win last year? Seven or eight? Do you remember? seven. Yeah. Yeah. They, they rallied to get to – I thought I was going to say six or seven. They yeah. rallied to get to that range. Yeah, they played They played pretty well at the end. They did. I mean, like John said, once they got Sweat, that defense kind of turned it around. Yeah. Sweat came and solidified that defense. Fields got back from injury. And, yeah, they were a pesky, frisky team that, you know, was pretty good value in terms of gambling down the stretch. But, yeah, they, they ended the season last year – with seven wins, seven and ten. Seven and ten. And, you know, do you think those teams regret it? Do you think Jerry or Ursa would be like, you know what, we maybe should have just ridden with Peyton and given Romo and tried to just build the roster through the draft with, with some cheap talent? Speaking for the Colts, they may have regrets, only because you don't know what you know now, and that was you didn't know Luck was going to end his career so soon, sure. you know. But – the lack of talent on the offensive line played into that. Like, I mean, like you, you, yeah. you maybe could have seen like, Hey, we don't have an offensive line here for this guy. And you know, he got his head beaten in the first couple of years. He sure did. While I was watching him play, I remember that. I was like, man, no regrets. This was awesome. Sure. You know? and, but sure. yeah, you're right. Then he was, he was taking a beating and that's what led to the, again, the early uh, exit. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a good comparison to, to think about I you know I, I I would agree with that in that kind of when you run it through that kind of filter um, I just keep getting enamored with that whole notion of trading down to four getting something besides the fourth pick picking Marvin Harrison to pair with DJ Moore yeah I mean and they got the number eight pick as well so like yeah if you if you I, you know I don't know if Arizona would want to trade up from four. That, that's where they're at, right? I don't I don't think Arizona would want to trade up because I don't think they would want to draft Caleb Williams. I think they're going to let Kyler run it back one more year. But yeah, they could easily trade to like number, even if it's number two or three. Yeah, they said the cost of moving down to number two. I don't know if you guys saw this last week because we had mentioned that hypothetical, or maybe it was two weeks ago. They've said that like it would be uh, two first round picks for Chicago to move to two. Just to move to number two. So, I mean, I, whenever you say two first-round picks, maybe that equals, like, hey, we're counting the number two pick as one of those first-round picks, and we wanted a first-round pick next year as well just to move down one spot, maybe. 
I don't know, but like the haul they can get for not taking Caleb Williams and trading it would be something that could set your franchise up and fix your, you know, I don't know exactly what Chicago's problems are. You know, some people would say their problem has been quarterback. Quarterback and O-line, yeah. Is their O-line bad? Okay, I was going to say, I, mean, I assume it wasn't great, but I know they haven't had a lot of skill position players. And I know their defense, you know, had they'd kind of lost some talent there for a bit before kind of replenishing it. But, you know, I, I don't know. I just look and if you told me Caleb Williams is going to be a stud, maybe that changes things. What's your level of confidence right now, Bob, that Caleb Williams is a stud? Maybe not as good. Well, the way he's talked about, can he be as good as C.J. Stroud? Can he be as good a prospect, prospect as C.J. Stroud? Can he be that player? He could be. I don't think he will be. Your no. level of confidence in that is what? That he will be? Are we doing your 1 to 100? Sure. 75. Okay, well, that's a 3 and 4 chance. So, I mean, maybe that's worth the gamble then. Sam, do you feel 75? What, what, what number would you put that Caleb Williams is as good in year one as C.J. Stroud? Or at least, like, projects to be that? As good as C.J. Stroud? Well, I mean, that's... I'd, I'd go lower than that. Uh, I'd say, like, a 50. Yeah. Well, I just mean, yeah, like, the number yeah. one pick. I mean, he's supposed to be generational. I mean, C.J. Stroud was a guy that had been talking to falling out of the top five last year. So, I mean, I know C.J. Stroud had a great rookie year, but I'm just saying to be that type of player, maybe not have as good of a rookie year, but to where you're after year one thinking of him the same way you think of Stroud. Like, I'm not saying take the Bears to the playoffs, yeah. but I'm saying, like, to where you're like, C.J. Stroud, I think everyone would agree, is a top ten quarterback or right around the cusp. And if he's not – if he wasn't his first year, will be the second year. In my opinion, Caleb Williams is either, like, a 95 or, like, a 35. Like right. I, I think he's a, yeah. either generational or just is a complete bust. So what do you lean towards? In terms of him being generational, what's your level of confidence in that? That was my my if, most more generational was sure, 75. But I mean, if you're going to say it's generational, then he has to be as good as C.J. Stroud. Or at least, like, comparable. You can't you can't say you think he's going to be generational at 75% and then be like, well, I don't know if he can get to C.J. Stroud. Well, I'm thinking C.J. Stroud in year one. I mean, sure. that, that's, that's like – that was – that was mind-blowing. Yeah, Nobody saw that. I, I'm projecting, like, for the years. Like, if you come out – because, I mean, I think if you're the Bears, winning, you know, more games, making the playoffs would be cool. But, like, if after year one you're like, we have our guy, and that's how the Texans feel, right? We have mm-hmm. our guy. Now, he won a playoff game, so that's great. But, like, just feel good about your guy right. and know that he's going to be a top-ten quarterback. Because I, I think that's what the expectation for Caleb Williams is, right? That, like, if you're drafting him at number one, you're going to have a top-ten quarterback in the next couple years? I feel like that's the kind of the the understanding for every first quarterback taken, especially sure. if they're taking number one. But they say Caleb Williams is as good of a prospect as Andrew Luck, as good as Peyton Manning, as good as John Elway. Those guys were expected to be top ten quarterbacks pretty much from year two on. So Sam, what's your level of confidence that that he can be that, or that he that he will be that? Not that he can be, that he will be that. Probably, yeah, sixty five to seventy in that range. I think it gets lower if he lands with Chicago too. Honestly. Well, that might with, be the sad part of yeah, Chicago. It's like, you can be beautiful, but just with someone else. Right. I'm going to set you free. I want you to be happy, just not with me. It sucks. Um, but it's, I mean, it's you just look at it historically. Like, the be Bears can't I mean, develop a quarterback. The Titans, if the Titans had traded up for C.J. Stroud, like they had been rumored to on draft night or like leading up to it, he wouldn't have been the same as he was with the Texans. No. Not with the coaching staff you had last year in the office of coordinators. Like, he wouldn't have been that. Mm-mm. So it's, there's almost a part of me that's like, I'm glad the league is getting C.J. Stroud. I'm glad he's able to sur- survive and thrive. Now, it's not great that it's with a division rival, of course, but we would have hurt him. We would have crumpled him up and broken his neck like a little puppy dog were choking so hard. We got our own beautiful baby boy. Yeah, but I mean, like, I think, you know, 
he wouldn't have flourished under that coaching staff either. Like, I think that coaching staff held him back. Like, I think – I'm not saying you could have dropped, dropped Will Levis into Houston and had him be just as good as C.J. Stroud. I'm not saying that. But he would have been better in Houston than he was in Tennessee last year. I think. And, like, conversely, like, if you put C.J. Stroud with the Titans, it wouldn't have been as good. So I do think fit fit fit. So like Chicago, if, if they're self aware, like hey, you know what? We're not really that develop a generational quarterback type of franchise. We're like a blue collar Justin Fields run around, get us eighty yards on the ground, and we'll win with defense. We're that type of franchise. So let's get a couple extra first round picks and build this defense and offensive line. Like if they were self aware, they might do that. That's my reasoning for trying to keep Fields. I think just because they have such a bad track record of developing the quarterback. Like at least you've got a sign of a guy who's kind of getting there at least right now. And you can get like, like you're talking about how much of a haul you can get for that pick. Like it just feels like you go with the guy who's shown you a little bit of success. And, and, and you bring up, that's an interesting point too. The bears have never, ever, ever, ever been considered like a, like a high octane offensive. It's always about defense and grinding and that's just who they are. It's almost like they like that, too. I mean, yeah. it's the Chicago mentality. But I mean, like, yeah. Their best quarterback, their most talented quarterback ever is maybe Jay Cutler. Yeah. Yes. Like, if you go down the list. So, like, maybe, they, maybe they're desperate to have that guy in Caleb Williams. They're like, hey, this is finally it. This is going to elevate our franchise. We're finally going to have a quarterback. Or maybe they're like, you know what? We don't trust ourselves to actually not mess this up. <laughs> They've never had a 4,000-yard passer in the franchise's history. No. That's surprising. It's crazy. Even with Jay Cutler, I mean, I know he was yeah. great, but like him and Brandon Marshall, I thought he'd had at least a, a four thousand yard season. Now, on the flip side, what's your level of confidence that Justin Fields can be a top ten quarterback? That's a tough one. I'd say uh, out of a hundred, I'd say f- fifty tops. Yeah, just a coin flip, Sam. With the Bears. <laughs> Again with yeah. the Bears, forty. Well, my my confidence goes up if he gets traded. To be honest, well, with the you. bad news for Justin Fields is that if he gets traded, I think he's linked most to Pittsburgh, which is right. like yeah. going just to the AFC version of the Bears. That wins Sean Payton went on uh, McAfee and said he was pretty interested in him over at Denver. Wow. He said that is he allowed to do that? He didn't say like interested, but he said he likes him as a player. Yeah, and they need a quarterback, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, Russell Wilson screams more like Pittsburgh. Like he'll he'll end up in Pittsburgh and. Mike Tomlin's like, hey, just come out here and throw for 140 yards, and we'll try to piece this together. <laughs> but also, like, it's important to note it's not Caleb Williams versus Justin Fields. It's Caleb Williams versus Justin Fields and, like, three extra picks that yeah. might be blue chippers. And that's sure. when the math starts changing. So I don't know. But I do find that to be the biggest storyline. I don't even know what number two is in the NFL this offseason. Because, like, Belichick's not coaching anywhere. There's no movement that, like – no quarterbacks outside of a Fields. I mean, is there anybody out there that would move that would move the needle? Like Ryan Tannehill to Pittsburgh's been rumored that doesn't do anything. The, like, the second story may end up being what's going on. We talked about earlier with Justin Jefferson. Okay, I mean that's a that yeah. that just showed up, and that's that's a big deal. I mean that's arguably the best receiver okay. in the game. There will be a receiver that gets linked. Like there will be a receiver. I feel like that's a pretty good bet. One of the quote unquote top twelve guys will be moved by the first night of the draft or by the second night of the draft. Like, Justin Jefferson would be obviously the biggest name. I don't think you can roll out A.J. Brown just because he's emotional and, like, who, who knows? Yeah. Diggs. Could, Diggs. Diggs, I was going to say, in the very least, I would I would bet a lot of money that Diggs is gone. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not someone trades for him or waits for him to get released, I don't know. But, like, somebody should trade for him. 
But yeah, like one of those three guys, I would imagine, gets moved. And there might be some other names like IU? T. Higgins. Did you see IU? Yeah, yeah, good point by you. IU, because you know he was the number three receiver on Pro Football Focus this year. Like I don't think he's number three, but I think IU is is a top twelve receiver. If I'm making that the cutoff, like he is every bit of a top twelve receiver. And like I think the narrative has changed in San Francisco about like him versus Debo. Like I think if you're San Francisco, you'd maybe be if you're a fan, a fan of the 49ers, you'd probably be more like eager to trade Debo than trade Ayuk. I think Ayuk has kind of surpassed him in terms of who's better. But yeah, like he his family was mad, and that's a good move. Like when, when you can, you maybe don't want to say it yourself, so you just get like your brother yeah. to tweet out that you're mad that like, hey, only three catches in the Super Bowl to your best player. What the hell? So yeah, put him on the list because he wants a new deal. And if you're the 49ers, I don't know if you can afford to give him a new contract. You got Bosa, you got McCaffrey, you got Debo, you got all these other guys you're going to have to pay. Just the reliability perspective alone makes Ayuk more attractive to me if I'm the 49ers. I mean, Debo, I love watching him play, but, I mean, how often do we see him get hurt during the yeah. season? It's it, it seems almost like every other week. I was going to say, like, every 49ers game I've watched, I feel like he's at least limped off the field once. Yeah. Even in the Super Bowl. I mean, he went out grabbing his hand, and you're like, oh, well, that's it. But he, he came back, but it's always something. So, yeah, I feel confident that one of those guys will get moved. So maybe that is the second biggest story. Jefferson, the headliner, but just one of those guys. Overrated, underrated is brought to you by SM Athletics. Spring sports right around the corner. Sun's poking out earlier and earlier, boys. Spring is almost here. If you have uniform, equipment, screen print, or embroidery needs for the upcoming seasons, give SM Athletics a call. Excellent customer service, great products, a local family-owned company, fair prices. Don't chance it with the unreliable mega stores or online orders. Trust someone you can get a hold of. Go see face-to-face. Give SM Athletics a call at 865-966-3434, 865-966-3434, and online at smathletics.com. Let's play some overrated, underrated. Overrated. Very overrated. It's overrated. Overrated, my friend. Overrated. I want to tell you why. I think that's a solid rated right there. It's perfect rated. He underrated, man. He has some swag. He has some real swag. Lobsters are underrated. They don't die. All righty, John. Overrated. Bob's playing, too. Bob and John. Bob and John. Bob and John. My bad, Bob. (laughs) You're fine. Overrated. Underrated. The suspense is killing me. Orlando Magic. Shaquille O'Neal. Got his jersey retired with Orlando. Overrated, underrated, Mr. Shaquille O'Neal in Orlando. I would say overrated only because I'm surprised it hadn't happened sooner. That's It's pretty cut and dry um, to me. He was uh, – they got to the NBA Finals with him. He was really kind of the signature player for that franchise. I mean, some would argue maybe Penny uh, came in at the same time, but I'd still say that – I was kind of amazed it hadn't happened already. Obviously, in the early 90s, I was alive, but not really keeping up on the actual drama and the you know the inner workings of NBA basketball teams. But 
Yeah, the documentary I watched about that Magic team made it seem like Penny, they were trying to kind of push him to be the face of the franchise. I, I do remember the little Penny shoe commercials. Yes. Like, I do remember how successful that was. And, like, even, you know, as a five- or six-year-old, I knew Penny Hardaway was cooler than Shaq. Now, I don't think, you know, history has shown that to be true. I think Shaq and his charisma and, and you know, his movie roles and his time on Inside the NBA and all that, like, I think it's proven to be the opposite, but... It did seem like they had tried to kind of make that Penny's team over Shaq's. And what was it like watching him burst on the scene, though, like that size and athleticism? I mean, I remember him and, you know, the Lakers, but by that point, the peak athleticism was kind of gone. Yeah, he was he was crazy. I mean, you, you just felt like an unstoppable force. I mean, I still think back to when he was at LSU that – uh, you know Dale Brown that that he didn't win with him and Stanley Roberts and Chris Jackson who is now Mahmoud Abdul Rauf he had so much talent and Shaq was just the closest thing to an unstoppable force as I'd seen in a long time he was amazing um, yeah and then in in different ways when he went on to other teams in the NBA with namely the Lakers he uh, he he just he just got better. He, he, I, I, I was totally impressed with him. He probably did get better. I mean, obviously, with the Lakers, went on, won championships and everything. But I got to say, Orlando Shaq is underrated because looking just at his stats page, his numbers across the board are higher with Orlando his yeah. first four years. Like his averages and, you know, his, his stats, all of them except uh, assist, better with the Magic than the Lakers. Now, you know, he didn't a championship or anything but still yeah i was surprised that it's actually better with them than he was the lakers he had a lot of good supporting players on that team with um you know horace grant nick anderson um but i and penny of course but i he carried that team offensively so that doesn't surprise me and like i said the the reason i called it overrated was i just he to me he was the anchor player of that franchise, in my opinion. So why wouldn't the, that have happened sooner? They said that's his third retired number. So, um, so does that mean the Heat? He, he I would has, imagine the Heat did since he got a championship. Yeah, I mean, and they, it's not like they had a lot of people in their rafters. I mean, they had for a while just like Michael Jordan. They just had Michael Jordan's jersey retired. Yeah, he didn't even play there. Yeah, so that's that's my point. It's like you know he he had a he did win a championship with the Heat, but in comparative terms he had a cup of coffee there and so i'm kind of surprised orlando waited this long i wonder if there were just hard feelings over being kind of forcing his way out or Could leaving be. and just like you know kind of that's, ditching good. Him. that's what an article i read said yeah really that's, yeah. Hard feelings. that's yeah. a good point well, i'm glad shaq's kind of bearing those hatchets and, and moving on what one last thing about the magic do you think they would have won the NBA Finals in 95 had Nick Anderson not missed four straight free throws in game one? What was the sports conversation around that? Because that's one of the all-time choke jobs to have a guy miss four straight free throws to allow a team to force overtime. And then, of course, the they lost that game and ended up getting, I believe, swept in that series. They did. They yeah. did get swept. No, they they wouldn't have won the championship. Okay. I mean, they no. They, they, Houston had them outclassed uh, from the get. Uh, I followed all that closely because uh, Orlando beat Indiana to get to the finals for that. And um, I, I really felt like, it, honestly, whoever came from the East was not going to beat Houston. They were okay. too dialed in. Overrated, underrated. We got NFL overtime rules. 
I saw that people ha- has anyone been complaining about the overtime rules in the Super Bowl, other than like the clock thing? Because I feel like did we not kind of universally come together and be like, okay, this is good, we're good with this one. Good. I do, I do think there might have been. I can't believe that the masses didn't. There were a lot of people who didn't understand it, so that leads me to wonder how well the NFL explained it. That's all. I think the actual rules, though, are, are pretty solid now. Yeah. I'll say that they are, um, I guess, properly rated because I haven't seen anybody complain. Should they go to it just for the entire well, regular season? That's too? what I was going to say. Is um, I don't know what you would call that, either overrated or underrated. But I, yes, I think it should just be the same rules in the regular season as they are in the postseason. That's crazy. It does seem kind of crazy that they're like, hey, we're going to play 17 games. You're going to run into each other. You're going to get all these injuries. But, hey, we're drawing the line at those extra five minutes in overtime. We're going to make it 10 minutes versus 15. I'd be fine with the old rules, the current rules in the regular season that they have. I would just like for them to play 15 minutes because 10, you know, you lead to ties. And I hate seeing ties. I hate having the one at the end of people's records. I just hate it. So, like, I have no problem with them doing just the, hey, we're not going to guarantee, or like, hey, a touchdown's a walk-off in in regular season. I have no problem with that. I would like 15 minutes or at least give teams three timeouts. They only give them two timeouts, I think, in that halftime. Ten minutes is not a long time to have two possessions in the NFL. Like, if someone goes on a five- or six-minute, like, field goal drive to start the game, it's hard to go down and match it or to win in regulation. Did my NFL overtime proposition that I texted y'all made make sense to you? Give it to the audience. Not everyone gets to see our private well, yeah, text thread. I, so. I said uh, I think the overtime rules should be, you know, how obviously both teams get a possession and the overtime rules now in postseason. I think that it should just be untimed clock or whatever. Whoever wins the toss gets the choice of whether they want to, you know, receive or kick. Um, and then – However much time it takes for you to go through that drive, whether you score or you punt, whatever, that's how much time the next team has to operate. So, like, if the Chiefs went down, got the ball first, and they score in the two-minute drill, then they've got to go back, and the next team's got to go back and score in the two-minute drill. So that way the offenses are now being a little bit more reckless and trying to score? Or you can, you know, keep your approach of methodically going down the field and take an eight-minute drive, but you also have to give your defense eight minutes out on the field. Okay. I don't hate it. Really suck to give up an opening kickoff return for a touchdown. Sure, <laughs> but then what happens? Okay, so what what happens if they match? They you keep playing, keep playing. Yeah, but does well, no, that... you, you can't really match though, right? Because I mean, like it's not going to be down to the second. I wouldn't imagine. I'm just saying, if say a team say team A scores in four minutes, team B now has four minutes to score. If they score in less than four minutes, then they win the game. So you put, four oh, min- okay. you put four minutes on the clock, and there they go. They have to race against the clock. So that's it. Okay, mm-hmm. I thought it was more if they tied it and they did it in three and a half minutes, then the next one gets yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Okay, I got yeah, you. Yeah, so that's that's a, interesting. It's a beat-the-clock scenario. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That'd be one way where I'd be fine with them using the clock. I, you know how I felt about that at the beginning of the week, and even you know McAfee and others were saying, it's like, why are they running a clock? And there's been arguments about how they assign timeouts and everything else was why they do that but i, I still don't understand it I, I, that that's the part where i feel like it was kind of mishandled but but the rules as they stand i'm fine with them you know the ufl could try something like that yeah a beat the clock thing yeah, yeah. okay I, I maybe eliminate the kickoff in overtime to eliminate that do you like that one more or Less than the proposition that was floated around, you know, for years in terms of like the 
you can basically bid on starting position. Mm, I like that one too, yeah. So, like, if the Chiefs were like, hey, we'll take the ball at the 15, mm-hmm. then the 49ers would have a chance to say, we'll take the ball at the 10. We're willing to go 90 yards for a drive. And you get the ball, and if you score, you win a touchdown. If, but if not, maybe even a field goal could win the game at that point. Would you be willing to start on the five-yard line and try to drive down for a field goal? Because if you get stopped and go three and out, you're pretty much going to be you know, giving the ball at midfield. I kind of like that one too. I like that battle too. I oh. think that those type of rules just bring in like different intricacies that are hard to be able to game plan for. More things to make fun of the coaches for too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that idiot let him take it at the twenty yard line. Yeah. Like, yeah, something like that. We oh, haven't what had a moron. He only did three minutes of offense. He could have done eight. We haven't had we haven't had many people doing that and we're creating pressure. Like we had the one Bears coach that decided to kick off in overtime back in the day because the wind. <laughs> And everyone's like, oh, my God, you always take the ball. He's like, no, the wind. And they end up, of course, giving up a score to lose. And then, yeah, you had Shanahan this time changing the rules, be like, oh, my God, his team didn't know the rules. They weren't prepared and knew that a touchdown didn't win the game. And Donovan McNabb didn't know you had ties back in the day. I like like things we can make fun of people for. Overrated, underrated. Touched on it a little bit yesterday, but uh, Tiger Woods' new Sunday red attire uh, and his new clothing brand. Overrated, underrated. Overrated. Um, I was looking at this again last night. As a matter of fact, I'm sure. I'm sure the the apparel line will look great, but the. The whole play on the name, really, I feel, is kind of... That's ruining it for me, too. It's kind of lame, yeah, to be honest. I agree. Yeah. Have they actually launched the clothing stuff? Can you yeah, buy they, them right now? Is it live? Oh, I don't... And, it's not live until uh, May, I believe. But okay. he's released some, some pictures of some stuff. I haven't seen anybody praising this at all. It seems like everyone is kind of like, this is either weird or meh. So I got to go that it's properly rated. Because okay. right now, my thing is just meh. And that seems to be the general consensus, right? That, no one's been blown away by this. Which would be such a weird feeling if you're Tiger. Like, you think you're getting ready to blow everyone's mind, and everyone's just like, uh, should I say with Nike, bro? <laughs> we, we missed the old TW logo. It's also weird seeing him in, like, marketer promotion mode kind of right now. Like, yeah. for years with Nike, he was just, he's the product himself, and now he's kind of having to, like, sell his own product. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, now he's not the product anymore. Right. <laughs> you, you can't just go out and say, "Hey, I'm going to buy this Tiger Woods stuff because, man, this guy's great at golf." It's now like Tiger Woods. He's selling a, "Hey, I used to be great." You remember what? You remember that feeling you used to get, right? When I wore Sunday red, and you're like, "Oh, Tiger's in his Sunday red. The machine is locked in. You can do that yourself." Although I will say, you know, he seemed happy. Seemed happy and healthy. Doing the promotional stuff. He looks good. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still struggling with why they had to separate Sun and Day. There had to be some sort of trademark issue yeah. that he, they had to do that. Because that, that to me, is like, if you just called it Sunday Red, I'd be like, okay, I get that. And I'm still not sure I'd be in love with it. But this just gives you more things to pot shot. It's like, uh, it's weird to me. Just weird. Yeah. It Should just have been basically, S-O-N, like you were saying, John. I mean, basically, it just – sun is the preferred weather. Day is – you play golf every day is kind of what they're saying. Like, it's kind of like what some people are trying to break it down. And then red, of course, is his color of power that he got from his mother. That was, like, why he always wore it. So, like, play golf every day out in the sun and, and be powerful. Uh, it's stupid. It's a stupid name. 
The name's very overrated. It's rated lowly, and it's still somehow overrated. The name's dumb. The name's dumb. Would you think it was dumb if it was just Sunday Red, all one word, though? So I think it might be kind of cool. That's what I was saying. Yeah. I, I was better if, if they had done that. Yeah. That 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 put me over the edge. Like, okay, I got I got nothing for this. Yeah, okay. I agree. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. That's my new thing when you play those drums. I feel like <laughs> overrated, underrated. We got Freebird by Leonard Skinner. Freebird by <laughs> Leonard Skinner. Uh, Where did that? Oh, wow. You know, I gotta say, it's probably underrated. It's it's highly regarded, but your generation, you guys rocking Freebird? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at a bar one time in Boston before the Patriots Titans playoff game, and of course somebody there was a band playing. Someone's like, "Play some Freebird," and you know that's always a test of whether or not the band has a sense of humor or not. Ha ha, good one. But then they just immediately went into like the guitar solo, which I thought was really cool. Just like great guitar solo. Yeah, just did it for like thirty seconds. Like there you go. I was like, that's a good compromise. Yeah. You don't have to hear the whole beginning. You have to do the whole seven minutes. Uh-huh. You don't have to sing. It's just go right into the rocking, and then there you go. All so, you want to hear. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> no, I like hearing the whole song. I like hearing the build up to it. But I was like, that was a cool way to handle it. Freebird's a great song. I'm going to offend a lot of Southerners. Mm. I don't like Leonard Skinner. I, I just, I have never, I didn't like Sweet Home Alabama. Didn't like that smell. Didn't like. Didn't like Freebird. I know Freebird's a classic song. Um, no, Tuesday's Gone? Tuesday's yeah, Gone. Tuesday's, Tuesday's gone. Gone's all right. I was going to say, I like that one. Actually, Simple Man? You like Simple Man? Nah, not Man. so much. Give me three steps. I know. <laughs> they, they, got, they got some bobs, Bob. I mean, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You I know, was, I think I think maybe what I've got on the brain is Freebird and Sweet Home Alabama, and okay. that's all I can ever remember. And Sure. Yeah, so maybe that's part of it. But I'm not going to act like I'm a huge fan, but I did like those songs growing up. Yeah, again, there, and even coming from the north where I'm from, there were a ton of Leonard Skinner fans. So, I mean, they're, obviously I know they were a transcendent uh, southern rock band. Um, so I, it's tough for me to, I would say, so I'd say it's overrated myself, but that's probably got as much to do with personal preference as uh, facts. So, Samuel Leonard Skinner guy? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not, like you said, I'm not going out and actively listening to Leonard Skinner, but if they show up on a shuffle on one of my playlists, I'm not skipping it either. Okay. I listen. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Now I really don't like it. Um, I just think of, I just honestly, when I hear Freebird, I just think of Forrest Gump. Isn't that the song that they're playing when Jenny is like? Getting ready to jump off the roof. I think you're right. It'd be really dumb if I think of that, and it's not even the song they play, but I, got, I feel like whenever she's getting ready to jump off the roof or fall off the roof, whatever she's trying to do, I mean, she's flirting with suicide. I feel like they're playing Leonard Skinner there. I uh, used to announce the high school baseball team back in high school, and Freebird was the song I would play at the end of every game because it was, like, you know, eight minutes long, and it just gave me the time to be able to oh okay finish everything up and <laughs> shut the booth down before I could – Play that instead of having to play four songs at once. I just threw on Freebird every single time. I thought you were going to say that you were using that as like your intro music. I was like, man, that's that is not getting slow build, Bob. Yeah, yeah, that's not an energy boost in any shape or form. But I I guess with them, three of their most famous songs I just equate to movies. That's what I think when I think of Leonard Skinner. I think when Tuesday's Gone, I think of Happy Gilmore, and then with uh, 
What's the other one? The um, I just lost it. Just well, they named a movie. There was a movie, Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, no, I was thinking Sweet Home Alabama. I was thinking Con Air. Like, yeah. they were riding the plane. Yeah. And, and Steve Buscemi's character's like, you don't see the irony? A bunch of convicts flying around in a plane listening to a band that died in a plane crash or something like that? <laughs> yeah. That's what I think of. Three movies. When I hear there are three songs. All right. Decent batch of overrated, underrated. I give it a C plus. C plus by you, Sam. We'll wrap this show up on the other side. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.